I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome to this morning's edition of The Breakfast Show. Today, Monday, the 26th of December. The time is now approaching four minutes past seven. Uh, my name is Khalid Banu, and today we'll be joined by uh, two other presenters. Um, we will have Mr. Sharif Banu, who will be joining us, and also we will have Mr. Ali Khan. Uh, so these two gentlemen will be joining me this morning to present the show. Uh, this is an interactive show, so if you have any questions, comments or feedback, please do send in your comments uh, or your feedback or any other observations you may have. Um, we, are, we will be discussing two very important and interesting topics this morning. Um, at the first of it, uh, which is um, called the season of giving, and the second topic we should be discussing is about the mini forest revolution. Now, with regards to the setup of the show, if people ha- are not aware, what usually happens is that we shall be discussing the topics of the day. And as as we're discussing those, um, we'll be just looking at the weather also briefly. And after that, from about half past seven onwards, we shall, like I said, uh, be talking about the first topic, which was entitled or which is entitled Season of Giving. The second topic we shall be discussing after the 8 o'clock news, uh, around approximately 8.15, leading up to 9 a.m. till the end of the show. Now, um, there are lots of um, things that are um, out there in the news. There's lots to discuss. Um, So, you know, please, uh, like I said, um, I hope you stay with us till the end of this show. The breakfast show runs from Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, you can uh, contact us on 0208-687-7878. If you want to tweet, uh, you can tweet any comments uh, to at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, and also you can go and check out our website. Uh, you can visit our website on www.voiceofislamuk. I just want to say a big warm welcome and uh, Asalaamu Alaikum to all our listeners all around um, the globe because, uh, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, all praise belongs to Allah. We are reaching you know, far and different parts of the world and um, even as far as Manchester, Bradford and our friends in London, Londonderry as well. Uh, so you know the 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 reach is quite uh, far and wide. Uh, so, like I said, if you have any comments or suggestions, please do give us a ring. Uh, please remember all the workers, the hard workers of uh, the Voice of Islam. There's lots of people that work in the background to prepare these shows, and they're working tirelessly day in day out. And lots of these people are volunteers. So please do remember them in your prayers. I want to uh, pay particular uh, thanks to our um, tech support this morning, Mr. Akib Ahmed uh, Adnan. And please also pray for our producer of today's show, which is Ms. Simab Rahman. And also, can you please remember in your prayers our researchers, Mahbab Rahman, Amma Kamal and Sarah Ahmed. So with that, let's uh, start the show. Um, we'll have a quick look at the weather in a minute. But before that, uh, let me just say salam to our fellow presenters. Uh, Sharif, assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. How are you this morning? 
Wa alaikum salam. Peace and blessing of Allah be upon you too. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of God. I'm very good, thank you. And you? Yeah, good, thank you. Nice, nice to be <laughs> presenting with you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't know, yeah. we don't want to confuse the, the listeners, but there's uh, t- two banus. You know, buy one, get one free, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, all right. So how you been, Sharifa? How's, how was, um, you had a few days off for, for the holiday season? Um, yeah, so uh, from Friday I've been off, but it's been a busy uh, few days. We we drove up to Bradford for a wedding and back down again, so it's been quite been on the roads for quite quite a few hours over the last few days, and um, and traffic and everything as you can expect. And what we heard in the news, there's over millions of cars expected today, but it was the same on Thursday and Friday. So it was quite busy on the roads, especially with the rail strike. So, but no, now we're at home and relaxing and recovering um, before work next week. Definitely. And um, there's lots of, like I was saying this morning, there's lots to discuss uh, in the, you know, there's lots of topics to discuss uh, with regards to the general um, current affairs and what's been going on in the media. Um, are there any stories that caught your mind or would you like me to start off? Um well, most of the papers this morning um, have led with the King's speech, the first King's speech um, since um, he took um, over yes. the reins. His reign started, mm. and what a speech! I must say, I listened. I had listened to it yesterday. Very inclusive, very um, humbled by it, and um, this is what the, most of it, the papers have gone with. The Sun have gone with um, the King of Hearts. Um, the Mirror, Charles praises selflessness of the NHS, tribute to heroic workers and fears of people struggling with bills. So, we um, it's it's a different um, it's different uh, for most British person who's used to listening to the Queen on uh, on Christmas Day and now to listen to the King. Mm. So it was quite a different speech and and it brought I think it brought people together. Mm-hmm. It was very inclusive of everyone, different faith, different um religion. He spoke about um the the struggling of um the struggles of people around paying bills, keeping them warm. And, and all sorts of tribute to the NHS, to the frontliners. So I thought it was a message like a bit um, with the Daily Mail went with um, the King's message of love and hope and also praises to his beloved mother, the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, who passed away earlier in the year. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I think some of the comments that I've heard from uh, various people uh, who you know, were listening to the speech, they said he, it was a very, like you said already, a very compassionate uh, speech. It was very, mm. you know, um, full of love and, and appreciation of like so many different people and, and acknowledgement as well of the, the people, um, you know, people's efforts, people's struggles, like you said as well. It, it is, you it know. is. And it was, it, it was, it was something that, um, I've, I've listened to it to a few for a number of years now to the mm. Queen's speech and now with the King's speech and it was it was refreshing mm. it was good and it was um, I think he's done very well for his first speech and and he's only the second monarch to ever in the British history to ever do a televised um, uh, Christmas speech so so yeah it was good to hear and good to see to be honest Excellent. and and like yeah. some other papers have gone it sets the tone for his reign on um, on the United Kingdom, uh, definitely, and and I think this is 
like you said, it's, it's, it's refreshing and it's, it's different. Um, and of course, I mean, for, for lots of people as well, it, it was, um, like you said, this, I don't know, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time getting used to, but it was a very good introduction, I believe. And, mm. um, you know, we, of course, we, you know, we miss our majesty, the queen, uh, you know, where she rests in yeah. peace. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's like you said, it's very good. It's very, um, compassionate and of course one of the other things you mentioned about the the strikes um sharif then like you said um there's um, a number of um rail companies that are striking throughout the day today and um mm. there's, there's like you said there's gonna be lots of disruption um uh, so uh, services have been cancelled on, on many services national rail and uh other other rail companies and uh, even the eurostar has been affected as well there's limited service on there, and uh, you know, it's some people will say that you know this is not the right time to strike. I mean, what's your feelings about that, Sharif? Um, I don't think there is a good time to strike, mm. and I don't think um, there will ever be uh, um, an option. Mm. But we see that in in these day and day and time, these are desperate people who are trying to make ends meet and are struggling, and they are left with no other option but to strike. But um, it's it's a difficult one because we're in Islam. We're taught that rebellion against the state or is is not something that we should be doing. We should pray. We should raise our concern in a constructive and meaningful way and then leave it in the hand of God Almighty and pray that our leaders will make the right decision. Mm. But in these times that we live in, the people are desperate and the people are struggling to make ends meet, to keep people warm. We're seeing the rise of food banks. We saw a rise of food banks during COVID and so forth. But over the last three months, we've seen thousands of what we're calling warm banks where people are having to go into warm shelters to keep themselves from the freezing cold that we've had. Yes. These are desperate times and people are desperate. So I don't think there'll ever be a good time for people to strike, mm, mm. but it does affect most people. And the few times that I've had to take the train to London, um, I've had to think twice before booking my ticket because of the impact that the rail rail will have and and also consider whether I should be driving in, which obviously doesn't help with the weather and everything and then the climate changes and everything that we're trying to achieve. But it is something that is will cause disruptions, and especially around this festive time where people are trying to go and see friends and family and, and travel around the country, and a lot of people who don't drive will use the rails system or the bus and now with the strikes they won't be able to do so that's right yeah and, and that's a very very valid point there that you know there is no right time to strike and uh as you say it's it's unfortunate but it people are desperate and, and like you said with the cost of living as well mm. things are not you know easy for people so unfortunately uh people have to do what they have to do and, and strike and um i think um we also saw that you know there's there's been a I wouldn't say a flurry of strikes, but you know, people are, are are just in such desperate situations. You got people who are, mm. uh, for example, the NHS staff who are doing you know long, long shifts, and then still, exactly, yeah. still, still, some of them having to go to food banks. And I think that for me is quite heartbreaking to to, to hear that you know someone who's serving the you know humanity 
in, in such a way, and then they're struggling, isn't it? It, it is, and I've I've had the unfortunate experience of having to use the NHS over the last six months in, in, um, a couple of times now, and you can see that the um, um, the staff, the nurses, the doctors, how overworked they are, and yet the service they're offering is with a smile, with yes. compassion. And you can see that there is so much for them to do, and yet they take their time and they take their um, they treat. They, well, at least my experience has been that they've treated us very um, compassionately, and did, we didn't feel like we were a burden. Even at A and E, while we were there, you know, people were the nurses and then the receptionists always had a smile on their face, even yes. though. They were under very stressful situations. People were in pain and mm. screaming and, and all sorts, but they were very compassionate. And to me, that's testament to what the NHS does and and what what a way of, of, of lifestyle that they chose to be selfless in times where, you know, people are struggling and mm. yet they are struggling themselves to make ends meet, going to food banks and stuff, but the service they're offering mm. is second to none. Exactly. 100%. Very well put. Um, Mr. Ali Khan, as-salamu welcome to this morning's Breakfast Show. How are you feeling this morning? Wa alaikum salam and very well, thank you. Lovely to be presenting with both you chaps again. Oh, yes, it's fantastic. No, I was, I was actually <laughs> looking forward to today's show. I said, oh, great, I'll be presenting to two um, excellent presenters. Um, Mr. Ali, so is there anything that has caught your eye in today's papers? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot on... Uh, I was just 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 listening in on your conversation regarding the uh, the strikes. It's it's I think it's a, it's a really emotive subject, and uh, it's a sh- it's a shame when mm. it gets politicised. Yes. Um, because actually, what you're talking about is um, a very difficult situation where um, it's a, it's a big decision for the people who are striking to strike because they're actually sacrificing more pay to um, make the stand and, and to, to take strike action. And they know the impact that it will have on the public. And 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 they, they know also that, you know, there's a chance that they will lose sympathy um, from the public when they strike. Um, but it's a shame when, when it gets politicized um, by the ruling party and by the opposition. And I think that both sides are actually guilty of doing that. It's very easy to, you know, it's very easy to sit here and criticise the government, which, as you, as you know, I never have a problem doing. <laughs> um, but I think it's also to have some balance. Mm. It's important also to to say that you know the opposition are also, um, you know, they're not really committing one way or another. In that, would we actually? Um, what would we do if we if we were in power? It's very easy to say. Mm. Um, just sit around the table. Yes, yes. You know, sit, sit around the table is a very generic statement. Mm. Of course, there's been there's been conversations and dialogue going on in the background. Otherwise, the government would not be would would not have refused to meet the demands. Um, those conversations have happened. Um, maybe the gov maybe and maybe the you know I think to conclude on this, maybe the negotiating positions need to be softened a little bit. I, you know, in, in in any negotiation, there's a tendency. You know, you have to meet in the middle, mm. um, and I think the figure being asked for is unrealistic. 
and that it's, it's, it's well above inflation. Um, you know, mm. on, on the government side, they're saying, look, we already gave you 3% last year when it comes to the nurses. Um, so yes. they're not going, you know, they're not going to get as much as they, they want, but, you know, you think that an, uh, a compromise could be struck, which, 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 in the interest of diplomacy, if that agreement could be reached, I think it would, it would, it would yeah. save a lot of, save a lot of bother. Exactly, and I, and I totally understand where you, where, you know where you're coming from when you say you know that it's it, in this situation, it's, a, it's, it's the whole nation that's actually suffering, and everyone's quite aware of that. And just to have these um, parliamentary debates and just. What, for lack of a better term, mudslinging, you know, rather than resolving the issue and uniting, you know, putting a united front to try and resolve the, and tackling these these issues um, is, is what should be the priority, you know, rather than just, um, you know, like I say, name-calling and, and, and pointing fingers, but um, like you said... Yeah, um, I mean, calling from the, from the government's perspective, mm. you know, I think we've... We've seen this as well, you know, with um, when you get. Um, I mean, we've seen this, for example, with, with the way that uh, you know uh, crimes that are perpetrated by um, so-called Muslims. Sometimes they're, they're straight away classified using the word terrorism. Yes. I think that there's been some similar games being played by the government in terms of. Um, Trying to trying to ostracise and depict any any strikers as, as kind of extremists, um, and you know, essentially trying to depict them as people, characterise them as people that don't care, mm. and they're willing to kind of wreak havoc on the country to get their message across. And uh, as Sharif just just pointed out, you know, um, it's a lot more serious than that. You know, I, I think you know, some of what these guys are striking about is actually safety as well. You know the rail workers are talking about mm. safety. The, the the nurses. You know when you do a thirteen-hour shift and you're not allowed out off the ward because you're the only person responsible, um, um, legally responsible for, for example, the medicine cupboard or whatever else it is. Yes. There's lots of rules that you have to follow, and there's you know they're so understaffed at the moment that you know it's leading to scenarios which are not safe uh, on, on, a, on an almost daily basis, I'm guessing. You know, these um, guys are responsible for our care. These guys are making life and death decisions uh, yes. on a minute-by-minute minute basis. And mm. if they're tired and overworked, then that's not, that's not good. No, definitely. And, and this, is, this is the problem we've had for a number of years. And we've had this conversation a number of times on The Breakfast Show where we've become disillusioned with our political system because we're not seeing a difference between the government and the opposition. We're seeing the same rhetoric and we're seeing the same thing happening over and over again. And we're not seeing a, an alternative. So a lot of youngsters, a lot of younger generation have become um, alienated with the political system because there is no, there is no difference when you're sitting there watching what's happening between the Labour government and and the Conservatives. It's like, you can't tell who's who and you can't tell what's what's going to make a difference because okay with covid you can understand this is a one-off once in a lifetime event that caused disruption and there probably wasn't a right answer at the time 
to make the, the economy or make the country safer or better. But with the other issues that we're seeing constantly, we've had a number of years now where there hasn't been anything and there's a lot of articles around. We've had 12 years or 13 years now, approaching 13 years of the conservative government, and it's the same story. And yet, no, I'm saying, and yet the Labour Party hasn't provided an alternative. They haven't provided any, any solution. Like you said, it's easy to say, let's come to the table and talk. Let's do this. But how are we going to do that? What are the concrete? Um, meaningful steps that we need to take to get to a solution. No current, party have been able to do that. I think the current Labour leader um, saw what happened to Jeremy Corbyn and has, you know, realised that his best bet is to essentially um, assume, you know, take, you know, watch, watch the Tory party implode and essentially hand the hand the power over by virtue of being deemed not fit to govern rather than having to stick his neck out and say this is how we would be different this is where we would be different yeah. and and not and not and not you know basically not have to stick his neck neck out too much and 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 take a particular position um because you know not not wanting not being able to say not being able we've seen it with brexit you know that they're not able to say yes. what they really want to say about Brexit. Mm. Not, he's not even. They're not even. They're <laughs> not even taking opportunities to criticise Brexit anymore. You know, mm. the, the, the Brexit implementation is 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 absolutely, you know, appalling. And we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, um, the impact, the negative impact of of Brexit. We're seeing some of the arguments that were made against Brexit. We're seeing them play out in actual reality. But they're not able to take advantage of that. And 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 state those things because they know that it will be an unpopular view, and they'll just be characterised as being, um, you know, the Remain party. And and so when you have you have this political kind of stalemate, where the one party cannot actually be different to the other in many respects. They are obviously there are fundamental differences still, but yeah, it's going to lead to disillusionment, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think. And, uh, and and what we've seen over the number, if you look back in like two decades ago or three decades ago, we had a government, but we also had a real opposition system. And we had real debate, we had real discussion happening and not just mudslinging like we've seen in the last few years. And that's what makes our system great when there is that debate, there is that political argument where you're able to see both sides of the aisle and be able to make a good decision. <laughs> there was, there was, but but there was. It was more. There was. We was. It somehow it feels like nowadays it's all about the mud slinging and what throw everything. Let's see what sticks, and rather than let's sit down and and have um, have a meaningful discussion of how we can improve the economy because we're not seeing. We're seeing everyone is is suffering at the moment. Whether you're middle class, upper class, or lower class, or working class. Everyone is stuck in this um, cost of living crisis, and um, and but we're not seeing anything that's meaningful that's being actually being achieved. No, I think um, you're absolutely right. Uh, Khaled wants us to um, talk about the weather, but I just wanted to ask, <laughs> I just wanted to ask you guys: did, did either of you uh, see the King's speech yesterday? 
We, I did, we, and we spoke, we spoke about it at the beginning of the yeah. show. What's your view about it, Ali? Um, I guess, I guess it's just nice to hear the the reference to other faiths. Mm. Um, but uh, you know, it's nice to hear that reference to other faiths. Um, I, I guess you just wonder, um, you know, you know, irrespective of whether people were monarchists or anti-monarchists. Um, the Queen had um, a, 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 a respect. She had respect um, just by virtue of uh, how long she had been in place, and and you know, she she carried that kind of um, she she had that weight. Yes. And, and I think that I think King Charles is 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 is, is, is I think he's fighting for he's going to be fighting for relevance. He's going to be fighting for. Um, not just himself, but the royal family, in terms of them, you know, them still being seen as a, a relevant, uh, useful um, part of of British society, and where is where is their place is. So it was interesting to see how he was, how he, how his first speech went. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's it's less depressing than talking about the weather, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing <laughs> is, Colin, what do you want us to say? You know, I, could re- I could read the weather, I, but without I, looking at the weather, I could tell you. I was just about to say that we don't, we don't need it's to. Uh, yeah. It's going to be dark. <laughs> yeah, hey, co- hey, I've got a day. Of- I've got a day of sunshine today, so I'm looking forward to that. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, 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 just to sort of finish that, that, that before we uh, have a little break. I just wanted to say about the um, the King's speech. I think it was uh, like I was saying to Rufa earlier, Ali, that you know it's 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 a uh, good introduction, and I think um, he, he's just going to obviously take a bit of time for people to get used to him. But he's like you said, he's he had very sort of sound views, and uh, his comments were very, I think, uh, very welcomed from all different you know different people, different faiths. Um, uh, but the general public and I and I, I think um, I mean he, he he has my respect definitely and I think people whether like you said they're monarchists or not they 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 are very um, I think pleased with what he had to say uh, because of course you know he he's taking over the mantle of of of, of uh, you know monarch now uh, but it's very good I think I, like I said I, I really appreciated what he said and and look, a lot of people like I said to Sharif earlier. It's very compassionate, his speech, very inclusive, and uh, I think it was an excellent start on his part. Exactly, yeah. and it'll be it'll be nice to see over the next months and years to come yeah. the impact he actually have on on our system and on the world, on the Commonwealth in general. So you know, and like Ali said, that relevancy, what impact? So you know, we've been talking about we've been talking. Um, there's talks going around, but what impact does that actually have? And what influence he can have on our system, and to improve um, the way things are at the moment. Mm. So he's, he touched on everything that's affecting everyone in the UK. Was very inclusive, and um, brought in different faith, different um, demographic, and and the the frontliners. But what will be interesting to watch over the next year or two mm. is the impact he actually have he has on all of this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you, gentlemen, for that news roundup. Uh, it's much appreciated. And um, just to give you a brief summary of the weather, as you quite rightly pointed out, uh, Ali, uh, in summary, the weather forecast from the Met Office is it will be colder today 
with wintry showers in the north, as predicted. <laughs> we but should it's be bright and sunny where Sharif lives. Yeah, exactly. Sharif, bring some sun, yeah. bring some sun to us, please. Right, now we should be taking a very short break, and please join us after this short break. Sometimes it is seen that a prayer is carried on until it is about to be accepted, and then the supplicant gets tired, and the result is failure and frustration. Frustration results in the denial and effectiveness of prayer, and gradually culminates in the denial of God. It is said, if there is a God who accepts prayer, why have not those prayers been accepted which were offered over a long period? If those who think thus and stumble were to reflect upon their lack of perseverance, they would come to know that all their frustration is the result of their own haste and impatience, which generated an ill concept of the powers of God and resulted in despair. So one should never get tired. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. So, um, as I mentioned at the top of today's show, we would be discussing two topics th- uh, this morning. The first topic we shall be talking about uh, is uh, the season of giving, and it's quite relevant uh, seeing as we're in the holiday period and we're talking about different factors like the cost of living crisis and other struggles that our people people are going through. Um, Sharif, could you please shed a bit of more light on this particular topic? So over the last, um, the last few months of the year, unknown as the season of giving, with the rise of cost of living, energy prices and the colder weather, it's important now um, than ever to embrace the season of giving. And we all know that Christmas is, you know, if you're if you're living in the West at least, um, Christmas is known as a season of giving. And it's when families and everyone come together um, to celebrate Christmas. So, so yeah. Mm. And you know, uh, uh, talking about the, this topic, which is the entitled "Season of Giving," I think what was really one of the things that I, that really sticks in my mind was um, going back a few years at the beginning of the pandemic, when people were really sort of sticking um, t- uh, or helping uh, neighbors and strangers mm. with the struggle. You know, people who were isolated, people who were, yeah, you know, and and that for me was. Has like forever, forever, you know, will be embedded in my mind of the kindness of people and the, and the kindness yeah. of strangers. Um, but now we 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 we've like three years down the line, and and we want to, you know, you have to ask what's sort of improved. We've got all these um, cost of living crisis um, mm-hmm. situation, uh, people are striking because they they they're struggling and they're suffering. Uh, but then on the other side, you've still got these amazing people like. Uh, all the all the all the frontline services, paramedics, mm. the doctors, nurses, care workers, uh, and, and so many other people that are, are working really, really hard to try and um, look after the wider society. Yeah. And you know, of course, you got people, uh, things like food banks as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I don't know about you guys, where you guys are in London and stuff, but 
one thing that I've noticed more and more where I am here, yes, um, that it's uh, it's quite understated, but and we don't hear about it enough. And I think it's important to um, to highlight it. Businesses, local businesses, local cafes, local coffee shops, and everything mm. have started this scheme now where. Well, it's been go. I've I've seen it since COVID more, right. but I know it's been going there for a while for homeless people. Where if I'm buying a coffee, I could buy a second coffee, and they'll put it on the board, and any homeless person that comes in can have a look if there are any free coffees, and they'll um, they'll be able to ask for that, no questions asked. That's a, that's so free. anyone can do that. And mm. the one that I was reading last night was there is this um, this cafe around. Um, in um, I think it's in the, around the Bristol area where they've started this marble scheme. So they've got this box of marbles next to the um, counter where if you're homeless or you can't afford to pay, you can go in and each marble is worth a pound. Right. So whether you have a coffee or have breakfast or anything, you can take as many as you want, no questions asked, and you can pay using those as a representative of money. And I think over the COVID period, we've seen a number of these small businesses who have not people have not really given them credit for what they're doing to support the local community where there is homelessness then you know it affects um their li- the people around the living and you know the people who are stuck in this rut so you've seen barbers giving free haircuts for anyone who wants to go and um have a job interview they'll give them free haircuts we've seen some local um, clothes shop who would give you a shirt and a tie if you've got a job interview. All these kind of things that's popped up, it's it's all in the, to me, that's testament to the British um, culture of giving. Yes, yes. I think, you know, that's a really interesting point you make there because what you, uh, and I've noticed this as well, and I'm sure Ali and other listeners have listened, um, have uh, witnessed this as well, that a lot of local businesses, small businesses, are taking really great initiatives to help uh, the wider community and homeless people, etc. Um, in terms of the larger um, supermarkets, I mean, obviously we do see that they are collecting um, food and donations for the food bank, but... I think uh, what 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 I think is I think sometimes sad I still see now is that there are sometimes or not sometimes but you see that there there are th- items that are reduced in supermarkets mm. yet if they're not used they're just thrown away. Yeah. <coughs> I think yeah. there should be a kind of approach or a better approach to you know using those uh, those items and and actually giving it I understand understand of course and th- these are just my opinions but I understand also that they do donate to, to, to a lot of um, mm. food banks and food charities. Uh, but I think rather than just throwing the food away, which you can see happens time and time again, there should be, I think, another initiative they could, could use uh, to perhaps give those to people that, you know, mm. are homeless or in need. I think the, yeah, and, sorry. I think the spirit of giving is, is, is really important. Right, it's it's really important. It's a way in which um, people, um, you know, it, it fulfills a basic human need. People feel good when they're giving, right? People who believe in um, for faith reasons as well, which we'll come on to a little bit later. Mm. Um, it helps them fulfill their purpose, 
um, what they feel their purpose is is in in life, and it's also really important. But I also think that when we when we're discussing this, I think we have to also sometimes it feels like um, it's 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 token it's it's a to, it's a tokenism it's a token gesture it's mm. not really solving some of the fundamental underlying issues that we have it's like putting a plaster um, on a on a huge wound mm. and, and and essentially you know we've, we've been talking about you know we've been talking about why you know why nurses are in this society modern society having to use a food bank mm. right I think if 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 the nurses genuinely felt that um, the NHS was paying them as much as they could afford to pay, then they probably wouldn't be as angry. But but the thing is, they're seeing millions and millions and millions and millions of pounds being wasted in procurement. They're seeing millions of pounds being um, misappropriated when yes. it comes, comes to COVID contracts. Yes. Uh, huge inefficiencies. You know, it's it just, it's it's you know, we, we could have a whole show on just on that. And I think... I think again, it boils down to the fact that you know, if there was true balance in society, if there wasn't extreme wealth, you wouldn't have extreme poverty. Um, if you, if there wasn't extreme overconsumption um, in one part of the world, you wouldn't have um, famine in, in 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 the other. And I think ultimately, you know, I, I think it's not. I think that's why sometimes, you know, I was I was contemplating. What does this system? What what does the season of giving mean? I kind of even thought in my head, you know what? It doesn't. I, I don't even. I don't even think people talk about it as much anymore about Christmas being a season of of giving because I think it gets drowned out in all the commercialism side of it. That's an interesting so, point, actually, because uh, one of the headlines I was reading in uh, in the papers this morning is that there's going to be a massive rush this morning for people rushing to go to you know, to get the, the these sales. Uh, the, the you know the, the, the back holiday sales today, uh, and, and I think you're right. Everything is sort of kind of drowned in commercialism and also in yeah. in, in materialism, you know. And that's that's I think um, really uh, very 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 valid point. And what what one of the things I did hear about the um, that was quite touching um, was that um, it was something that I heard on the news that there were various. Sort of children who had been listening and watching the news with their families, with their parents, and there's one particular school actually, um, I, I believe it's somewhere in Birmingham. Um, but what had happened was this this ch- um, parent had come on to the news and he said that you know he was struggling to uh, pay for his daughter's school meal, and they were, you know they were struggling financially. And what <clears throat> had happened was that a lot of the viewers who had watched this news article on the on the TV. Then were giving donations to that school, and and for me that's just just testament to to British values. Honestly, there's just the kindness, the kindness of strangers. And then the school was inundated with donations, so that Alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to Allah. For all the school pupils, yeah, could get three three um, school meals and three, three hot meals a day. Uh, not free hot meals, but free you know free meals and free, free meals, yeah. snacks. For, uh, it's amazing, uh, and I thought that's that's, that's so amazing. Nice. But you see, this is the thing that we're, this is the thing that that's that's amazing, and you can't take away from that. Yeah. But if 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 one small group of people can become energized to the extent of solving one a problem in one school, yes, 
Why can't we organise ourselves well enough and vote with our feet and and actually you know and actually you know fight to have a system, a fair system that's put in place that essentially ensures equality and justice for everybody? Why are we having to solve these in this society? Mm. Um, in one of the richest countries in the world, why are we having to solve this problem one school at a time through donations? See, it's, I, it's I, I know, sorry, state of affairs. Yeah, and I was, if, if you don't mind, I was just going to say um, what what I think for me is the most alarming thing is that there's a huge number uh, in a rise. Uh, there's a ro- huge rise in the number of food banks, and I think mm. for me that's that's a shameful fact to, to to be talking about that as a nation, like you said, we're a very rich nation. There's enough wealth there, and talk, just touching upon the um, thing you were saying about the NHS, you know, um, uh, I, I, I'm testament. I, I can testify that I had previously, when I was working there, you could see that the money was being wasted mm. unnecessarily in, in silly things in the most inappropriate way. Uh, and, and the thing is, like you have, that filters down throughout the nation as well. You got councils and other people that I who should be responsible. And who should be, you know, uh, managing budgets better and looking for the care of the nation better? But it's not; it's just not happening. It, it, it is mm. true, and um, it pre- it's a it's a very valid point that you and Ali Ali make is, and it, it goes back to His Holiness. the the book that he released earlier in the year, True Justice and Peace, which is a combination of his speeches, and he starts that book with the verse of the Quran that admonishes Muslims on doing good. So Allah says in chapter, sorry, I don't have the chapter and verse in front of me, but it says verily, mm-hmm. Allah enjoined justice and the doing of good to others exactly. and and giving like kindred and forbids indecency and manifest evil and wrongful transgression. He admonished you that you may take heed. And and this is the, the, the guidance that Allah has given us in the Quran, and yet, you know, we don't follow that. We don't see it. We see it in snippets. So if you look at even the Muslim countries, you'll see it during Ramzan, during the month of Ramadan of fasting, yes. where, you know, they'll give food freely to anyone. We saw it actually in, in the World Cup um, earlier in the year, where the locals were giving food parcels to... Um, to the um, spectators yes. who came to watch the game. Yes, yes. But what we don't see is that wider um, element of looking after the poor. Um, we don't see how the wealth is being distributed, how the way that Islam teaches us that we shouldn't be hoarding cash. That's why we have the system of zakat. We have the system of sadqa, the almsgiving, yes. all of that. And yet we're not seeing how those are being implemented and how... It's it's the system that we have is 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 broken. Definitely, I'm delighted to say that we um, we have a an expert on the line. Um, so our, our listeners can take a break from listening just to the three of us. <laughs> um, with um, friend of the show and uh, and uh, you know someone who's doing some inspirational work um, is Mr. Arif Ahmed, who is a UK ambassador for Humanity First, and we've heard him on the show many times before, even on some of our programs. Um, Arif Ahmed, good morning, peace be with you. Lovely to have you on. How are you today? Assalamualaikum. Yes, I'm okay. Um, feels a bit different, but uh, thank you it, for having me on the show. It feels different being on the, on the other side of the interviewing uh, 
On the other side of the interview, yeah? Yes, a little bit. But anyway, thank you for having me on the show, as I said. No, 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 no. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at all. And we, we've been talking this morning about this season being this the season of of, of, of giving. Um, and then obviously, you know, um, the work that you've done, especially with um, the within Humanity First, um, really relevant to this conversation. Before, you, before we get into that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in Humanity First and, and, and a little bit about um, how, you know, the history of Humanity First and how you've been kind of part of the different projects over, over time. Yes, of course. So you introduced me as an ambassador for Humanity First, which essentially means that uh, I'm out there trying to promote the great work that Humanity First uh, is doing both in the UK and abroad. Um, for the viewers, Humanity First was started uh, over 25 years ago by His Holiness, um, the fourth caliph, Azumizatai uh, Ahmed, and Naila Blessing. And he foresaw a charity which would help people, irrespective of their background, irrespective of their religious background or their race. Um, and we would very much apply the principles of Islam uh, in terms of giving, in terms of helping the needy, uh, in whatever capacity we were able to do so. And as I said, that would be both um, abroad and in the UK. And in more recent times, um, as your problem has probably been discussing, uh, we've seized the situation in the UK, which is very difficult. Uh, so Humanity First has, some, has launched some UK projects, one of which is uh, the Food Bank Programme, uh, we currently have two food banks, one in the Murfield, West Yorkshire area, and another one in the Walsall area, uh, in the Midlands area. And we're looking to open up um, others uh, as and when it's practical. Um, these started either in the middle of COVID or, or just after COVID, and we've been helping literally thousands of people uh, every year. Um, Britain is seen as a prosperous nation, but even Prince Charles mentioned it yesterday in his King's speech, um, about how um, food banks are now really part and parcel of the fabric of our society. So we're doing our small bit, and obviously we're helping people uh, in whatever way we can. Um, and these are the projects I'm involved in that I'm trying to promote um, as much as possible. I mean, it must, it must resonate with you. You know, I know you've been involved in Humanity First. You know, in the early days, you know, we'd, 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 we'd collect food items and organized food items to be sent to, for example, you know, war-torn parts of the world, um, Bosnia, um, Africa. And, you know, when, when we were doing that, we were thinking of, 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 of sending um, life-saving supplies to faraway lands further afield where people were really suffering. How does it feel knowing that that now is kind of on your doorstep? In terms of what we need well, to do. Uh, absolutely. It, it brings it home a lot more. Um, you know, as I said, as you've mentioned in, in the past, uh, we were helping people abroad. But when you're helping literally people, some of whom might be your neighbours, some of whom might be your colleagues, um, there are even people who are working full-time, uh, such as nurses who can't make ends meet. So in a way, it's sort of bewildering how we've got to this situation. But I think the more important thing for us is um, not to judge anyone and to try and help them as much as possible. But yes, it does definitely feel strange that a few years ago we were helping people abroad in perceived poorer countries. 
And as I said, Britain is still seen as a prosperous nation, one of the richest countries in, in the world. And yet you have this massive inequality between people at the top and between people um, who can't cope. And that inequality is widening uh, all the time. Um, so no doubt it does feel um, very unusual in a very strange position. But what I would also say is that this isn't a problem that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, the, the last year, we've seen the cost of living crisis, and it's not as though you know we'll go a few more months and everything will be back to normal, um, and and people will be able to afford all the things that they were able to afford before. This is a, a medium to long term problem, and and we have to redouble our efforts at Humanity First. As I mentioned, we're looking to open up more food banks, and we have to get the awareness out. There is a principle in Islam which again I'm sure um, you may have already discussed about, um, you're not really a true Muslim if you know that your neighbor is going hungry. Uh, and how many of us will inquire uh, after our neighbor to see if they need any help? We might have been giving them a, a season's greetings card or just say hello to them whenever we see them. But um, for us to be true Muslims, we actually need to know whether they need help. And this is a, a very established Islamic principle. And if everybody did that, um, then obviously we'd be able to help each other and we'd have less of a problem. So we have to fight this problem on, on many different fronts. You know, food bank is, is one way of doing it. We also have to apply um, principles in our life so that we can help the people around us. Arif, <clears throat> um, um, one of the um, how one of the questions that I have is how has the response toward the food bank been? And what do you think we need to do more um, to get these to get the help to those in need? The response has been really good, really good in the sense that um, we have lots of volunteers, both people who were previously with Humanity First, and also um, uh, local individuals from the Murfield area who just want to help. Mm. So. A food bank, you need obviously food collections and you need people to help distribute that food and run the food bank. So on the volunteer side, we've be, it, it's been great. We've had people uh, right from day one and we have new people coming in all the time. And they might only come in for a few hours a week. They might help with the deliveries. They might help with the admin. In terms of the food side, again, especially in the last few weeks, and you see this every, every Christmas, we've had a flood of donations. I think people realize that although their situation may be difficult, there are people who are in much more difficult position uh, than them. Yeah. So I think we need to just keep promoting what we're doing and get people to carry on helping us. But we also need to take the stigma away from food banks. You know, there are a lot of people, especially if you're the head of family and yeah. uh, you're facing financial difficulties, you know, how difficult is it for you to admit you need to walk into a food bank and ask for help. Mm. There's this perception that you know people that come to food bank, they're, they're scroungers, they're just trying to beat the system, trying to get free food. Um, there may be exceptions like that, maybe one in a hundred person who's like that. The vast majority of people who um, are desperate basically and are thoroughly ashamed that they have to rely to a food mm. bank and in a way they feel humiliated, but they're only doing it because they want to feed their family. And as I said, we're not here to judge, but we need to take that stigma away and say to people, look, mm. we are here to help. We're not here to judge and we want to help you. And I think as a society, we also need to reflect upon 
you know, why are so many people uh, using food banks and how have we got this situation? Um, there was a, an interview I saw with um, Rishi Sunak a few days ago where somebody asked him, would you like to see the end of food banks? He, he said, yes, of course he would. And everybody would. But I don't think mm. that there is a clear plan about how we get to that position. We're very much firefighting every day. This day, people need food. Here's food. But there's no real long-term thinking about how we can get to a position where there aren't any food banks. Are you um, touched on something there? You touched on something there. I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about. It's one of the accusations I've heard that upsets me quite a lot. In generalisations, is from from those who perhaps don't know what the reality on the ground is, is that all oh, these people, if they um, if they spent less money on um, tobacco products, if they spent less money on alcohol, if they actually spent less money um, on kind of food that's not economical to buy in terms of ready-made foods and this and the other, if they change their lifestyles, they would be fine. They would be able to afford to feed themselves. Can you just explain your personal experience of what you see on the ground, just to kind of, you know, maybe support sure. that claim or refute it? <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't really support it. I mean, I, I would say that there are some individuals who are not good with money in the sense of they don't have the financial skills to budget so, you know, they don't know how to make sure that their paycheck lasts the whole month. And that's around financial education. And there's a whole series of financial educational products. Oh. Many of you will have heard of Martin Lewis. He's published many, many guides as to how you can manage your money. But I think it's it's wrong to say that these individuals um, can somehow change a bit of things in their life and they will be fine. Um, again, yesterday, I saw a report about... Um, a supermarket that was selling a turkey for £140. All of you will have experienced how much food has gone up by. And if you're on a fixed income, let's say you're a pensioner and you're getting a pension mm. and uh, you're paying for heating and you're paying for food and you're paying for clothing, there comes a position where no matter what you do, you just cannot afford to meet your mm. basic necessities. So whilst there's always more that individual people could do, I think we are in a situation where a lot of people are just finding it almost impossible to get by um, on what they're earning. And, you know, another argument is, well, just work a few more hours and you will earn a bit more money and you'll be fine. Again, that isn't always the case. Many people are on zero-hours contracts. They're on fixed-hours contracts. Even if they want to work more, it's hard. You know, they've got to look after their family. They've got to make sure that they're in position to pick up their children from school, drop off their children look after their children. So everybody's situation is different, but I would say from personal experience, the majority, the vast, vast majority of people that are coming and using food banks are because they need them and they've got nowhere else to turn to. They've claimed the benefits that they're entitled to. They're using the family support that they can use um, and there's no other choice for them. Um, so whilst there is things that they can do, um, it's, it's very limited. And um, as I said before, food banks, unfortunately, uh, are here to stay in the UK. And I think they will be around for a long time to come. Arif, this is, this is a very, very interesting um, topic. And we've touched on a lot of um, elements on this. And I'd like to continue this conversation. And if you've got the time, um, can we, we, we need to, we're coming up to the hour now. So we can take a small break for um, and then go for the news and then we'll come back to this topic after the news.
Yes, of course, no problem. Thank you, Thank you Arif. And dear listeners, we will take a small break now and then we'll come back after the, um, the 8 o'clock news and to continue this very interesting topic. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you, dear listeners. Welcome back to this Monday's edition of The Breakfast Show. And just before the news, we were discussing um, uh, the topic entitled The Season of Giving. And we were talking to our first guest for today's show, which is uh, Mr. Arif Ahmed. Uh, Sharif, I believe you had one more question for Arif. I've got a couple more, um, if I may. Yep. Um, Arif, one of the, it's a very valid point that you made just before the break around the stigmatism attached to food bank and what we're seeing. And I must say, I'm, I'm probably one of those people that had these views and um, that people you know, who go to food bank could be doing more themselves, could be saving more, could be thinking about what they're spending on. But that's a very privileged and and ivory tower kind of view that I had. And I think a lot of people have those similar views. But over the, the last couple of years, with the cost of living and everything, the, the fuel, fuel costs, the energy costs, the food costs that we've seen, that view has somewhat changed drastically because we're all being impacted by a similar increase and we're having to make... Um, decisions on we're seeing in the news people are having to make more decisions around whether to feed their children or to warm the, um, to heat their ho- their homes. What my my question is: What can we do? You know, to to remove that stigmatism that's attached around food banks, and how can we help people understand that it's no longer the case that those people going to food banks. Oh, the, like you put it, the scroungers, or or I think Ali did, um, of society who don't want to do anything. But these are genuinely people who are struggling, who are actually ashamed of of that. But it's a true necessity. What can we do more? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, um, I, I had that sort of impression about ten years ago when I first got involved with food banks. And I think what everybody should try and do is is go visit their local food bank. Every town, doesn't matter how rich your town or your city is, will have a food bank and will probably have more than one food bank. Just ring them up and say, look, I'd like to come down and maybe help and see what you're doing. And I, I assure you that once you visit a food bank and see the work that they're doing, the great work that they're doing, mm. and also the people that come there, your view will be very much changed and you will see that this is a genuine problem that the vast majority of people coming there uh, are not scroungers and that they need help. Now, you can do that as a one-off, you know, even if you don't have time to help a food bank on a regular basis. I think it's about education. I think it's about learning. We're all open to, um, to learning new things. And I think that anybody visiting a food bank will be better informed and will learn something about the reality of food banks. Now, if you're able to extend that and give up a few hours of your time to help with deliveries mm. or to help with collections, I think one of the issues is that people are expecting 
of sitting around waiting for governments to get rid of this problem. They think that, okay, um, one of the responsibilities of the government is to feed their, uh, feed their citizens. Of course it is. But when there is a limit to what they can do, the only other way that the people of the country will be fed is if local people, people at all levels, help each other. And I think we need to encourage more of that. It's obviously, as I mentioned, uh, a very firm Islamic principle. And, but humanity first helps everybody. It's nothing to do with religion or background or race or anything like that. But I keep saying this to people, you know, um, if you somehow think that the government, by cutting taxes or by reducing fuel duty or by putting an energy cap in, is going to get rid of this problem, um, I think you're mistaken. There's a limit to what they mm. can do. We know that the country's finances are not in a good position. And we also know that whatever the government does takes time. There is something that each and every one of us can do today, literally today, and that is to, you know, donate to a food bank. Um, you know, if you go to the HF website, United First website, hf.org.uk, uh, sorry, hf.org.uk, you will see many, many of the proje uh, projects that HF is doing. Um, as I said, you can donate money. I mean, one of the things that people can do with food banks is when they're doing their normal online shop, they can actually select the address of the food bank and no matter where they are in the country, they can get the food delivered direct to the food bank. As I said, they can donate to the food bank fund or they can give up their time. So I think now is the time for action and for people to learn about food banks, understand what the problem is, and then do what they think they are capable of doing. And we just need to try and encourage as much of that as possible because the more people get involved, um, the more that we can do and the more people that we can help. That, that's really, really interesting, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. That's definitely something to consider: the online shopping and get it delivered to the food bag. Um, my final question, um, Arif, is one of the t one of the things we touched on earlier is um, food wastage in this country, and we know that in the UK there's millions and millions of tons of food that's wasted every year, and and this was brought up back in my mind um, earlier this week. I was up in Bradford and we walked into a Tesco at around closing time and all they were doing was binning all the bread, all the baguettes, all the bread, everything that was their sell-by date was that day and putting it in a bin and throwing it away. Do you, is there any, anything that you think we can do to promote those kind of items to be delivered or sent to food banks or is that already in place? Um, it's a very valid point and some of it is already in place. So, for example, you mentioned bread. We do pick up bread regularly from places like Marks and Spencers and bread is a product that can be frozen and then given out later. Um, but your general point about the amount of food wastage, it's a crying shame how much cost effort goes into growing or preparing that food. Mm. delivering it, packaging it, and then at the end of the day, it just gets thrown away. It just seems like a complete waste uh, and almost criminal that food, mm. good, perfectly edible food, is being literally thrown in the bin. And I think this is something uh, that people also need to be aware of. There are uh, food-sharing apps, things like Olio, O-L-I-O, and what that is is where people do have food that they don't need, but which is perfectly edible. They will share it, and they will say, look, I've got this much food and it can be collected, and it will be, uh, you know, in your local area. 
But I think more needs to be done. There are countries in Europe, I think France is a good example, where uh, it's written in law that supermarkets can't just throw away food. Uh, they actually have to give it to food banks, to charities. Uh, one of the problems is, is that we do get calls from supermarkets and they're literally about to throw away the food and then they ring us and they say, look, will you collect it? And that's okay. But if the food is then past its sell-by date, are we really fulfilling uh, our duties um, and, and really fulfilling the objectives of justice by giving that food to someone else? Would you, um, you know, give food to someone which was past its sell-by date? You know, are we really... Is that really what we want to try and do? You know, we want to try and give food to others, the food that we would eat ourselves. So, you know, we don't want to be saying, well, this food was about to be thrown in the bin. It's two days past its sell-by date. You're desperate for food. Here we are. Um, you know, I don't feel very comfortable um, giving food to people which is past its sell-by date. And the council, our local council, said try not to do that because, you know, they may become a health issue. Mm. So we want the, the, the government and supermarkets, I'm sure they can work this out. They need to find a way of distributing that food quicker so that it gets to the right people in a timely manner. If they're giving that food to us on a Friday night and we can't give that out until Monday morning, there's two more days that have gone by uh, and that food will not be in a great condition. But your, your central point about the amount of food wastage, I, I agree with you. It's, it, it's terrible how much food is being wasted especially when there are people who um, very happily would be able to take that food. I think it's more of a distribution and a logistics issue mm -hmm. about how do we get that food. There's plenty of people that would be happy to take that food, but how do we get it to people in a timely manner? Um, Arif, Abed, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. We, we can only um, thank you and praise uh, you and your colleagues for the amazing work. Um, uh, may Allah bless you and continue um, um, in, you know, uh, helping you with this amazing cause. And uh, I hope our listeners uh, caught the website there. It's hf.org forward slash UK. Uh, but for now, Arif Ahmed, may the, the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Thank you. Have a great day and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Jazakallah. Jazakallah. So, dear listeners, um, you know, there's some really um, interesting um, efforts that have been made by our by the um, NGO Humanity First. Um, and, you know, th that's the thing, you know, um, Sharif and Ali, you know, there's you both raised some very, very excellent points there, uh, you know, about food wastage and, and about how, you know, it's, it's. I think, I, for me, I think it's a bit of a crying shame that I understand that the governments um, have limited resources, or maybe they don't, but that's just my opinion. But, that we have to having to rely on on local people, but that's just, I think this is the beautiful teach thing about the teachings of Islam because Islam teach, teaches us that we um, have to serve humanity regardless. And and I think um, if we had all or if if we were all inclined just to be waiting for the people or in charge or the powers that be to step up, I think we'd be in a, such a dire situation. That's why when you look at the the life of the Holy Prophet. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He was such a uh, an excellent uh, ambassador for for humanity, and regardless of anyone, whoever they were, it didn't matter who they were. Just when someone was in need, he was there, ready to help. And that's I think that's what I for me resonates so much with me about the teachings of Islam. I'm, and I'm proud to be a Muslim that we 
have this in us that we all need, we are all good friends because of all, all the voluntary work that we do in serving humanity, doing charity um, uh, fundraising, for example, you know? No, I, mean, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show mm. that, you know, I, I know that there's lots of um, Christians out there that understand um, the, you know, their purpose behind Christmas. Yes. And that, you know, are going out and as part of this, they have their own celebrations with their families, but they also, you know, fulfill their responsibilities to uh, God's creation. You know, we see lots of people uh, volunteering at soup kitchens, um, giving more at Christmas. And and obviously, as, as, as Ahmadi Muslims, we believe in the evolution of religion. So we believe that all of the faiths before us were also from God, and the books before us were from God, and, and the, the prophets before us, uh, before the Holy Prophet, and peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, yes. were also sent from God. So if you look at if you look at all of the all of these religions, all of the world religions, they all teach the same thing. They, mm. and, and 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 you know this is a huge a huge um, argument for the need for religion uh, in today's age, as as a structure and as a reminder of what we should be doing, how we should be fulfilling the rights of God and how we should be fulfilling the rights of, of God's creation. And, and that's where, essentially, it, you know, it, it helps provide that kind of meaning in your life, that purpose in your life. And they all teach the same thing. They all teach that, you know, uh, love thy neighbor. Um, um, you know, you mentioned the Quranic verse earlier on um, mm. about, um, as well. If, if, if there is someone around you that it's going hung that it's going hungry then you know you as an individual um, you cannot you, you know you cannot rest exactly and and like you said um you briefly touched upon some of the quranic verses in relation to uh serving others in, in, for example in chapter 2 verse 238 of the holy quran it states uh, do not forget to do good to one another and um the to regarding the particular verse that uh, Sharif uh, spoke about earlier was in chapter 3 verse 111 you are the best people raised for the good of mankind you enjoined what is good and forbid evil and believe in an Allah and like I was saying earlier just now um, you know talking about the life of the uh, uh, of the Holy Prophet may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him you know so, well, you know, we we when we look at uh, what it means to be a Muslim, we look at his character, his characteristics, his actions, and some of the things and some of the narrations of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu uh, about charity and charity giving uh, are as follows. One uh, one such uh, narration, he says that every act of goodness is charity. Now, when you look at the founder of the uh, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the Promised Messiah. Uh, Ahmed, uh, peace be upon him. He said that my purpose, yearning, and heartfelt desire is to serve humanity. This is my job, my faith, my inspiration, and my way. And you know, this is, I think, for us, the essence of what Islam is. And um, people, um, I know, quit to sometimes um, criticize Islam. And look at the Qatar World Cup, for example. The Qatar World Cup people were, you know, were very, uh, I think, pessimistic about, you know, what was going on in there and what, 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 you know, talking about sub supposed uh, human rights abuses. And then when I was having this discussion with uh, some friends of mine and, and family members, I said, you know, if people were quite 
quick to criticize Islam because they were a Muslim nation, the first Muslim nation to hold such a beautiful event. And by the grace of Allah, we saw how there was no incidents of um, alcoholism, no violent incidents, no disruption, and everything you know, ran really, really smoothly. How safe uh, women and children uh, felt. Pardon me? I said how safe women and children felt. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's ironic how... Islam sometimes is, is, is depicted as a religion which um, demonizes women and oppresses women. Mm. But actually the, the freedom, that, that consideration that women um, felt um, at the tournament in terms of actually being able to enjoy the experience without being worried what, what, you know, what, what people who've consumed too much alcohol have done um, around them, the way that they were behaving. Been really interesting actually to see the reaction from uh, you know, obviously it was nice to see families there yes attending games yes. Uh, and muslim women there but also the reaction from western women mm. has also been very very positive but you don't you, you won't always hear this in you the western mm. women that were there yes you won't always hear this in, <laughs> in yeah. the media i think that's the thing is it's it's like um you know i remember one 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 once um in one of the question and answer programs with the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Zatayr Ahmad, uh, may Allah have mercy on him. He had said that the, you know, the press and the journalists and the media, they have information, to, they have access to so much information and they've got lots of information that they hold on to, but they choose when to release that information. So you, mm. you say, so like when you talk about the Qatar World Cup, you know, um, and how they sort of cherry pick the good parts, the or the parts that they think to be good parts, and and but what for me was 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 just before we finish this topic, uh, my last comment was going to be that it's sad that it wasn't publicised, you know, the the opening and closing ceremony. Um, but I'm not going to talk too much about it because no, England lost. I was bitter about it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, right. we didn't we did talk about sport this morning. But uh, yes, quick nod to the return of the Premier League today. Oh yes, yes. We could forget about all of our uh, troubles with our uh, the way we felt about our national team. Yes, yeah. but good well. effort for our boys, well done, chaps. They did really, really well. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen. Now um, we should be moving on to our next topic for this morning. We're talking about. Uh, the next topic is mini forest revolution. Um, so, dear listeners, if if you have any questions or comments or feedback about the previous topic we were discussing, or indeed this current to- topic, please do get involved. Now, this uh, just of this story, it was a there was a positive news article about how there's been this novel approach to tree planting and which is sort of taking root in the UK. Excuse the pun and beyond. Offering an exciting solution to the climate and biodiversity crisis, um, I was fortunate enough to do an interview uh, for this particular uh, segment, and I spoke to Dr. Simone Weber. Uh, this is the interview that took place. So, joining me on the line this morning, we have Dr. Simone Weber, who is the senior ecologist and uh, content manager at Creating Tomorrow's Forest. Uh, who's also responsible for answering technical questions and producing web and newsletter content to inspire people to invest in the natural world. She has studied behavioral ecology for her PhD, focusing on woodland ecology, and has an MSc in conservation and biodiversity. Her main speciality is birds, but she is passionate about communicating the need to preserve all our wildlife and habitats. Uh, Good morning, peace be upon you, and welcome to the Voice of Islam, uh, Dr. Weber. How are you this morning? 
Good morning. I'm very well, thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. We're really grateful for you to uh, for spending your time to join us this morning. Um, so, first of all, welcome to the show. Can you please begin with a brief in- introduction on how creating Tomorrow's Forests actually began? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the directors of Creating Tomorrow's Forests, um, Nick Collingworth and Liz, uh, Liz Boiva, they um, started a company about six or seven years ago planting trees in the UK called Tomorrow's Forest. During the first lockdown, um, during the pandemic, they, they sort of had a look and thought, could we be doing something a bit, a bit more for, for the natural world in the UK? And they set up Creating Tomorrow's Forest to plant trees, create woodland um, and other habitats funded by business investment and individual investment here in the UK. So the idea is there's a lot of carbon offsetting companies in the UK, but they tend to plant trees abroad. So they wanted to create something which was planting trees in the UK, improving the habit, you know, environment in the UK, but allowing people to plant trees on their behalf. Well, that's so really, that's, really that's, that's, yeah. mm. So carry on. Yeah, sorry. So that, that, that's the sort of um, where we started. And from there, we've um, developed into uh, beyond woodlands. So we're looking at other habitats like wetlands and um, uh, meadows and, and really trying to boost biodiversity across the UK. So that, that's our, our main remit. Excellent. Um, now, you know, planting trees is becoming increasingly important and um, ever more popular. If every household planted a tree, how would this impact the environment, do you think? So I had a look at the number of um, households in the UK. There's about 28 million households in the UK. So if every household planted a tree, that's about 28 million trees. Um, the figure we normally look at for carbon um, absorption, so this is the, one of the main drivers behind planting trees at the moment. The figure we usually use is 0.25 tonnes of carbon dioxide over 30 years per tree. So if it's 28 million households, that's about 7 million tonnes of carbon dioxide, just say from people planting a, a tree in their garden. Um, so each tree has, has quite a big impact on, on you know, our carbon, di- our carbon footprint. Um, but trees have a huge impact beyond, beyond carbon sequestration. They lower temperatures, they reduce flooding, they help in times of drought because they store water underground. So um, there's a huge number of ecosystem services benefits from planting trees, um, including biodiversity and, um, of course, timber. We, we, we really need timber in this country. So every, every tree we plant is, is useful to, to our, our environment. That's really amazing. And Dr. Akira Miyawaki has demonstrated how small spaces can be um, transformed. What factors do you think need to be um, considered? Yeah, the, so the, Dr. Akira Miyawaki invented the what's called the Miyawaki method, the Miyawaki technique of creating forests. Um, it's quite different mm. from standard forestry planting. Um, and the reason it's so useful is because you can, you can create really small spaces. So they usually say an area as small as a tennis court. Um, you can, you create, can create a little tiny forest. And it has, it has all the same... Eco, it sort of benefits for the environment as a larger forest just packed into a tiny sort of area um, and some of the considerations so w- one of the big things behind using the Miyawaki method is you use uh, native tree species so you use tr- tree species that are native to the country or ideally the area where you're planting and you create a, a sort of small powerhouse of a, a mini forest which you know is great for wildlife great for sort of absorbing water and preventing flooding 
all those benefits just in a really small area and it's great for urban environments in particular and in, i mean in terms of your you know your implementation of uh, techniques uh by dr miyawaki in your projects how has that um worked for you um, so we've used it on um, one of our sites, which we've planted on the Somerset levels. Um, so it's an area that's um, uh, that's very that's flooded frequently. Obviously, it's a very high water table on the Somerset levels, very flat. Um, and what we've done is planted um, real wetland specialist trees, and we're trying to create a wet woodland, which is a really rare habitat. Um, and by using the Miyawaki method, it accelerates the tree growth. So instead of um, it taking a hundred or a hundred, 200 years to establish a forest. You sort of accelerate it. So you create a functioning little forest in, in about 30 years. Um, and what we've seen has been the trees growing much faster. They're absolutely shooting up. We've seen really great root growth. So they've created an amazing network under the of roots and mycorrhizal fungi under the ground. And it's, it's just absolutely thriving. It's, it's a really useful technique for small areas, particularly in degraded land, to create a forest really fast. The, the project that you're doing, Creating Tomorrow's Forest, is an excellent uh, initiative. Um, are your projects open to volunteers? And if so, is there an age range that are more eager to join, according to your experience? Yeah, um, so we, we always welcome volunteers. One, one of our big um, sort of mantras is, is to try and get people engaged in our projects, um, particularly, obviously, youngsters, so that they, they get that, that connection to nature really, really early on. Um, but we, we see a lot of requests from retired people. Obviously, they've got more time. Um, but also young people wanting to get experience in forest creation, in tree planting. Um, it, it's sort of people wanting experience across the board and because we work with businesses a lot of the volunteering we have comes from business um, business customers who want to come and see um, the forest in action plant some trees really get involved with with the whole forest creation process um, you, you briefly mentioned about um, you know educating lots of different age ranges how do you actually encourage or educate the younger population to get involved in your project? So the, the main thing with um, children is, is to get them outside, to get them outside, to get them hands-on. So um, really get them sort of picking up things, looking at things, examining things, explain to them how ecology works. You know, so you're, you're painting a picture for them, not just, you know, saying that's a beetle, but explaining how that beetle works within the ecosystem, how it affects all the other species around it. Um, they're developing a new um, natural history GCS natural history GCSE now, so hopefully that that awareness of, of our natural environment will will increase in in children. But yeah, the the main thing is get them outdoors and get them hands on, get them looking at things, get them feeling things. Um, it's been an, a very inspiring um, uh, conversation with you this morning, Dr. Weber. What advice would you give to those who have been inspired and who are eager to grow their own microforest at homes? At their um, own home? As I said, there's a lot of resources online. Um, we've written a blog post about sort of how to get started, the basic technique. Um, the main thing is find some native tree species. You can do it in a really small area. So find out what your native tree, local tree species are. Plant a few of them. You plant it into a mulch so it nurtures the saplings and then just sit back and, and watch it grow. And yeah, you should get a little forest within within a a good sort of two years, it will start looking like a densely packed little stand of trees. Brilliant. Uh, Dr. Weber, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. Thank you for sharing your time with us and your knowledge and your experience. Uh, it's a brilliant initiative and uh, hopefully our listeners will get involved. 
Um, could you just, before you leave, give us the, uh, uh, the name of your website, please? Yeah, our website is um, www.creatingtomorrowsforest.co.uk. And um, yeah, it's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you. So that was an interview we had uh, conducted earlier with Dr. Weber. Very um, interesting points there, wasn't it, gentlemen? Sharif? Oh, I was. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Pardon I, me. I, I think I was sorry. speaking as well. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you now, Ali. Yeah, go ahead. I think all three of us were speaking at the same time. Um, so that was <laughs> that was a, an excellent interview with Dr. Simone Weber, who's the senior ecologist and content manager at Creating Tomorrow's Forest. So the interview was conducted by no other than our um, lead presenter this morning, uh, Khalid Bandu. And uh, welcome <laughs> back to the, the breakfast show. It's now eight thirty. It's Boxing Day. Monday, the 26th of December, 2022. And uh, just a reminder to our listeners that they can also join in the show on social media or they can also call in and talk to us on 0208-687-7878 and they can, our Twitter handle is at Voice of Islam UK. So gentlemen, this, this, this topic is um, of discussion is the mini forest revolution. I think the... Um, you know, one aspect of this story, I'm sure we've um, seen the news from um, the U.S., uh, you know, North America over the last couple of days in terms of the extreme weather that we've had there. And we see examples of extreme weather across the country, just to, uh, which is a stark reminder, really, of how important it is for our towns and cities to have urban trees and why we need more of them. You know, in, the, in 2022, you know, I've talked about the U.S. having record-breaking uh, cold and icy uh, weather and storms. But in the UK has faced record-breaking temperatures of over 40 degrees this year. So we've had the flip side. We've, had, you know, we've, we've felt the, the, the warmer side of climate change. Um, we've had more intense heat and weather conditions, um, which are going to continue to increase um, as our towns, towns and cities in the UK become urban heat islands. Now, trees are a great way of reducing the effects of this, and they provide shade for human beings and buildings. They create cooling effects by releasing water vapor, and also mm. they store less heat than concrete services. Um, and essentially, you know, trees, trees, trees is an issue. It's a global issue. It's not just a local issue. Um, by planting tre- trees locally, we can help improve um, our air, local air and help capture carbon dioxide and provide ecosystems for um, you know, local wildlife and much more. But, you know, the, the deforestation that's happening, for example, in the, in the Amazon um, is well documented as well. And, 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 and essentially, we're trying to counteract millions of trees that are being cut down in different parts of the world um, by planting more trees uh, in the UK to help combat global warming. Do you know, it's, it's really interesting that um, we're talking about... Um you know, a lot of the the, the the news that we hear about these days is mm. climate climate change, and it's interesting how many years ago um, Prince Charles, now our King Charles, uh, uh, you know, uh, God save the King, he he was talking about these things years ago, and I remember people, before he was mad. Yes, exactly, I, I, and people were just like at the time was saying, oh, you know, you know, what's he talking about? You know, what these things are not important, but you know, look. You know, you have you have the people of uh, the likes of him and and the amazing programs like um, you know you see nature programs uh, uh, like with the people like the, Sir David Attenborough who talk about you know 
the 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 changes that are happening, the 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 dangerous changes that are happening, and the damage that's been done to to the um, environment. Um, but Prince, fairness, King Charles was talking about it years ago. Yeah, in fairness, that we've been talking about the disparity between rich and poor, um, and he was talking about that. He's you know the the Prince's Trust has been working, you know, doing vital work for over thirty years, you know, helping. Uh, the kind of you know poorer people from urban uh, you know from inner cities kind of get on that ladder. Yes, exactly, mm. exactly. And, and and the thing is, um, this is one of the, I mean this is a topic I think that's close to all of our hearts because you know we 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 are all in our community heavily involved in uh, tree planting and and it's been something that is 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 fun to do at the same time, but it's the impact mm. that it has is amazing because. There's hundreds, of, I don't know, thousands of trees. I, I, and that's not an exaggeration. That throughout, um, all over the globe, you know, our community, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has been involved in tree planting, and 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 everyone gets involved. Young kids, uh, women and children, everyone, elderly people, everyone gets involved, and it's such a uh, an honor and privilege to be able to to have been able to do that as well, isn't it? Tree planting. Um. It is. It, it is. And over the years, we've, um, I've been sadly been involved in a number of um, tree planting um, events and that's been organised by the local community and supported by either, um, I think it's the British Forestry Association, where they guide us to where to plant and what to do and how to do it, more importantly, because you can't just go and, um, and plant um, anywhere. Yes. But but it is it is quite interesting, and and one of the things that um, I think we might touch on later on is one in Islam. Islam teaches us that planting a tree is considered as charity, and not only because it fee, it can be a source of food if we're planting a fruit tree or something mm. for humans, but also to the animals, birds and squirrels and and everything else. So so it is quite a concept that's enshrined into our belief. And I'm, I'm sure after the after our first guest, we will we will be coming um, back to the Islamic perspective on on tree planting. But I am we are pleased now to have our second guest or third guest rather on um, um, on for this morning, Mrs. Excuse me, Mrs. Amatul Shafi Ahmed, who is from Slough and she's serving as the president of the Middlesex region. Um, Mrs. Ahmed, Assalamualaikum, peace and blessing of Allah be upon you. Peace and blessings of Allah upon you too. Thank you. Um, for the benefit and of our, <laughs> thank you. Um, for the benefit of our listeners, can you briefly explain what um, the Lejnai Maila is? Lejnai Maila is made sediments of Allah. Is the women's auxiliary organisation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. It was established in 1922 by the second successor of the Promised Messiah, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmood Ahmad, may Allah be pleased with him. It is an empowered women's organization whose main goal is to promote religious and secular education among women and to support those lacking in these areas and help them in the spirit of sisterhood. Thank you for that um, introduction. So can you tell mm-hmm. us a bit more about what community-based projects the Legionnaire are involved in? 
Yes, there are a lot of projects like now is involved in it, from coffee morning to um, coffee mornings, home feeding the homeless, puppy appeal, serving humanity, charity walks, school talks, promoting peace and building bridges to unite communities. And our recent uh, is uh, tree planting. And why and how was tree planting chosen as um, one of the initiatives? So that's why UK has uh, chosen this, and um, this was chosen by Dr. Freya Khan Saiba, who's the uh, president of Rajnaimaila UK, <clears throat> and uh, and she she sort of the way to celebrate the establishment of pledging to plant 100,000 trees nationwide to commemorate our 100 years. So we have worked alongside our specific tree organisations and establishment in the UK to help make our target achievable. We have worked with trees for cities, Woodland Trust, as well as purchasing our own trees to plant in local schools and mosques. And Mrs. Ahmed, um, thank you for joining us this morning. May I ask you, the initiative, that, uh, the tree planting initiative, is this uh, for the for the ladies auxiliary organisation organisation just here in the UK, or is it uh, do you know a global project? This is just the UK because uh, uh, Dr. Freya Khan Saibasad, uh, President Lajna Maila UK, yes. have uh, sort of you know made this request for Lajna to sort of you know celebrate the hundred years by planting the trees. Yes, and uh, con- <laughs> you know, first of all, I want to say yeah, congratulations for uh, you know reaching a uh, hundred years for this. Uh, uh, organization for the Lajna Imala. Um, thank you. Last question before um, we let you go, Mrs. Ahmed. You know, approximately how many trees have been planted in the UK by the uh, Lajna UK? The, um, yeah, so far, so far, nearly sixty thousand trees have been wow. planted by people different religions uh, regions. Yes. So we still we've got still forty thousand more to go, and please pray for us. That I love you. Uh, make us sort of, you know, enable us to do this all by the end of this year. Oh, inshallah. God willing, um, this, it's a great initiative and it's amazing work. 60,000 is a massive number. Uh, may Allah bless yes. you. Thank you so much, uh, Mrs. Ahmed, for coming on this morning. Have a great day exactly. and, and uh, exactly. peace be upon you. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Um, Sharif, amazing uh, uh, information and statistics. 60,000 trees, uh, and that's just by the ladies' uh, auxiliary organization within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And like I alluded alluded to earlier, you know, there's there's so many different organizations that um, within our community, the different um, uh, facets and different auxiliary organizations, the youth, the elderly, and uh, of course uh, the the ladies' uh, auxiliary organization, who have been doing tremendous work in tree planting. And, and like uh, Ali was saying, it's not just uh, you know, it's not just about um, pro- tree planting. And and like you were saying, it's you know we've we've been guided as to where we can plant the trees as well. And uh, it's 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 a uh, it's actually something fun to do as well, isn't it? Um, it is, and the benefits far outweigh Definitely. Um, any effort that you put into planting tree. And and you know, when I look at, I was never um, a person who 
and I enjoyed that physical element of going out in the cold. <laughs> and so once, yes. once you start doing it, you yes. start enjoying it. You meet new people, make new friends. Yes. And especially in our in our organization, when you look at whether it's the ladies' organization or the men's organization, mm. it creates that bond, that friendship. You get to know more people. So it's it's one thing to talk about you know, planting trees and the benefit of the environment and, and our surroundings, but there's also the social elements that's attached to it of getting together, enjoying each other's company, that, um, you know, the unstated benefits that you get from those those initiatives. Mm, definitely, definitely. Um, I, I, and if you permit me, Sharif, I just wanted to talk about some of the actual benefits you, you know, you touched upon mm. there. There's some of the things that, that that's really amazing when you plant a tree, right? Uh, yeah. it can actually cool the air between two and eight degrees Celsius, right? In, can, I, can I just say, yeah, go um, ahead. I'm not too, I'm not too pleased about that, especially in this climate right now. <laughs> if it goes any any lower than that, I'll be freezing. Yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't think anyone will be uh, uh, too right now. Exactly. But, but that, that that's um, that's me being um, silly about this. But <laughs> it is it is true, especially when you see that the temperatures in the summer that we had. It, it, a lower by two or eight degrees would have made a massive difference in our comfort and and the drought that we saw in the summer. Yes, exactly, and and I think it's it's not too bad to go out and get some some fresh air, Sharif. <laughs> I think we we all need to do some more. Um, some of the some of the, some of the other benefits also is that um, large urban trees actually help to filter urban pollutants and fine particulates, making the air clearer clearer to breathe. You can see. You know when, especially when there was lockdown, and people weren't using their cars, right, Sharif? They, yeah. It was, it was. You could, you could see the change in the in the atmosphere, in the air. It was so, it was so much lighter. I, I that's why I felt about mm. it, and it's so much clearer and cleaner. And then, unfortunately, you know, we get, you know, being humans and the way we are, well, we have to get on with the life. We just go back into our old routine, and you know, then you mm. see all the cars, all the vehicles back on the road. And all the yeah. you know, congestion again. Oh, it's and you can see. And, and it's not. It's not mm. just that. Um, we're. Um, I am blessed and mm. privileged to live in a very rural part of the country, mm. and everyone who's come here to visit have made the comparison of the air. Yes. And how different it feels living in the countryside, and that's because we're surrounded by trees. We're surrounded by nature. Yes. And there is not a lot of cars like we see in London, where the air is heavier and more um, pollutant-based. Yes. Yes. Whereas here in the, in the countryside, it's lighter, it's, and it feels different. Definitely. Oh, you can you can you can you can see you can you can feel it. You can and and, and the thing is, it's like talking about you know city life compared to to country life. You know, even I you know you see you spend a five-minute journey right on the tube. It's so, so much pollution in the air, right? That yeah. you, know, you, we, we, we can all attest to this. If you, you go home after you use the tube and you just like wash your hands, wash your face, and you blow your nose, you'll <laughs> see the amount of of, of germs and and bacteria that comes out, and it's physically visible because it's all black, right? Yeah. And yeah. There, and I was I was hearing a, a statistic last time saying how that, you know, that short journey you take. On a tube, tube ride, right? It's actually really, it's the equivalent of smoking so many uh, so many cigarettes, right? So these things, these trees and tree planting, and you know, like 
um, for for the for the benefit of our listeners, right? Sharif and I we're we're from we're from Russia, so it's a beautiful tropical country. But even with with, with things like Mauritius, um, you know, actually had lots of trees, and, and even there has been affected, unfortunately, by some mm. some de- deforestation. Um, but yeah. again, our community out there in Mauritius and all over the world are are. are participating in tree planting and like you know my family some of our family members were saying how they had been involved in tree planting out there in Mauritius uh, but it is a global um, effort that needs to be I think needs to happen and needs to take place from from you know everyone yeah and it does and one of the things that um, one of the benefits of planting trees is the mental elements of it so the mental health element that we don't tend to touch on is you know, when you're out in when you're out in nature and you find that your anxiety, your level of stress um, reduces. But also, if you go for a walk in a forest, um, and it, and you see those parks and forests all over the country, whether you're in London, um, whether you're in central London, there's there's some really nice parks like Regent's Park, um, St James Park, and all of those places, Hyde Park. They're all there. But when you you feel different going out for a walk yeah. in those places and the more forests, those more mini forests that we have around the country, the better, you know, improve, we can improve our mental health. And that's one of the other benefits that, you know, you see yeah, decreasing stress, decreasing blood pressure, and, and you just enjoy nature. And all of these things are, are predominantly there for us to enjoy. But with deforestation and everything that's going on, yes. we need to make sure that we, we plant them for future generations to come and enjoy it. Exactly. And I think one of the nice things that you see in some in some cities they've taken the initiative to like have these walls of plants and um mm. it's so beautiful because it breaks up yeah. all the, 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 the dark grey and the you know the, the, the urban sort of um uh what's the word? The urban um views, you know, of, of mm. just city city life and these dark grey walls and you see these nice green walls of plants. And you know, one of the things that um our present caliph, the fifth successor uh, of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, our current leader, Hazrat Mizar Masur Rahman, may Allah uh, have uh, strengthened his hand. He had said, you know, in um, during the annual conference and the annual gathering in 2019, he said that, you know, a desperate yet very tangible fear is that what we are witnessing today could at any moment escalate into a truly global catastrophe whose dire consequences are far beyond our imagination. Now, in our selfish in our selfish quest for wealth and power, we are ruthlessly destroying the prospects of today's youth through a never-ending stream of perpetual injustice and savage cruelty. Now, this, this alludes to many things, but when you talk about, uh, when he spoke about uh, wealth and power and, and mm. greed, in fact, you know, the need for just to clear the spaces. I, I like the other day I was uh, coming from uh, driving from Surrey uh, back into London, and Sharif, I saw there's like on the side of the road, there was like used to be like lots of trees, and and it all be cut down. Mm. And I was like, that's sad. That's that, why why are they doing that? I mean, what? So, so one of the things about that um, is um, we're seeing a lot of diseases in trees in the UK at the moment. Okay. Uh, I've made a similar observations around where we are. You're, we're seeing a lot of mature oak um, 
um, a, um, and other trees, um, cedar and stuff that are being cut down. Yes. But they are being, the local authorities are making um, provision to cut down so that those spread of those diseases are not um, systemic. Oh. So if you look at Wales in Brecon Beacon, for example, yes. where it hasn't been dealt in, in good time, mm. there has been huge forests that had to be cut down because of those diseases. But the local authorities have put in place um, tree planting schemes so that you replace them. But obviously, cutting down a 40, 50 year old tree um, and replacing it with a sapling will take time to to reap. But it's there are there are in some cases um, um, reasons behind why they they are cutting it down mm. and not just. Um, for financial benefit, but also to spread the, to reduce the spread of um, um, tree diseases. Right, 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 right. Thank you. No, thank you for. See, this is this is what the show is about: to spread spread knowledge and educate uh, the listeners and ourselves, of course. <laughs> um, now, when you one of the things that the um, like I said earlier is that you know us as Muslims and uh, as happen of Muslims, we 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 want to. And we live our life by the teachings and practices of our beloved Prophet with peace and blessings of Allah uh, be upon him. Uh, and, and if our listeners actually want to find out more about his life, they can go onto our website, alislam.org, and you see there's so much more information about uh, the life and teachings of the Holy Prophet. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And of course, there are many books and articles uh, that you can read uh, with that uh, uh, with uh, regards to his life. Now, one of the things I wanted to say uh, in regards to what he has said was that he was actually very keen on tree planting. And imagine, you're talking about 1,400, 1,500 years ago, Sharif, right? Mm. And he actually, uh, <coughs> pardon me, exhorted his companions to, to do this so as well. He said that whoever plants a tree and diligently looks after it until it matures and bears fruit is rewarded uh, and if a Muslim plants a tree or sows seeds, and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it, it is regarded as a char- charitable gift or known as sadqa for him. And that's a really, really interesting point that if an animal eats, eats from it, Sharif, you know, um, I live in a in a in a in a, in a, a flat, right? So I've got to just a small balcony. So I've I've planted a few plants outside, and one of them was a, a strawberry plant. And every time I was, when the, the the strawberry, this was like, you know, before it started to get cold, before the winter. And when it started to sprout the, and bud, I, I was like, oh, great, I'm going to get some strawberries. The the squirrels were coming in and eating it. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I, at first I was I was a little bit annoyed. But then, like, as we're reading from here, from what the, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, it's, it's an act of... Um, Touchable act, so that's fine. I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's been a really interesting topic. Um, both the topics we've been talking about today. Um, but just to finalise the last thing about um, tree planting and and um, forests in general and uh, uh, tree planting, that the Prophet uh, peace be upon him gave paramount importance to street cleanups uh, when he said, removing harmful things from the road is an act of charity. Uh, or sadka, so you know. Again, this is the thing that you know. There's so many ways that we as Muslims have to mm. are being uh, uh, taught to serve society. Whether it's tree planting, street cleaning, blood donations, uh, giving, uh, you know, collecting food for food banks, uh, and, and the like. And, it's, and that's why I think uh, 
it's a very comprehensive religion and that teaches us not just to look after ourselves but look after everyone and the environment as well um indeed and and this is one of the one of the beauty of islam the more the more you read about it the more you learn about the teaching of islam the more um engrossed into it you become because you know we're talking about planting trees we're talking about cleanups we're talking about all these things that yes. we can do but the holy prophet even went further than that he said even a smile is considered to be a charity because we know the value of a smile so if somebody's having a, a really bad day yes. and we see day in day out so when you go to the shops you know um the cashier at the at the checkouts could mm-hmm. be having a really bad day could be grumpy but just by smiling to them or saying kind words to them can make their day that that in itself islam considers to be an act of charity so it doesn't have to be grand gestures of money giving or or all these big gestures that we see yes. even the smallest gestures feeding an animal giving water to a thirsty dog has been considered to one of the greatest acts that you know the holy prophet peace and blessing of allah be upon him said that was an act that got one of the one um cruel lady towards him yes. into paradise yes so all of these things that islam teaches us makes us do good so be kind to each other be kind to your neighbors be kind to your kindred and strangers alike like for your brothers what you like for yourselves all of these things is what islam teaches us definitely 100% that's very uh, beautifully put uh, sharif and it's very a lovely way to summarize <coughs> um, what we've been talking about today. Thank you so much uh, to all our listeners. Um, today's topics were um, the season of giving and the mini forest revolution. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed today's sh- uh, show. Thank you to um, our, my fellow presenters, uh, Mr. Sharif Banum and Mr. Ali Khan. Uh, thank you both uh, for taking your time and uh, making this show really enjoyable and it's very uh, inspiring and we learnt a lot as well, I believe. And, <coughs> pardon me, sorry, sorry. Um, and sorry to our listeners. <laughs> I also want to say thank you to our tech support, Mr. Akiba Nan. And of course, I want to thank our producer for today's show, Ms. Sebab Rahman. Our researchers, Mahmoud Rahman, Amber Kamal, and uh, Saira Ahmed. The Breakfast Show runs from Monday to Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, please join us again tomorrow. Tomorrow's show will be presented by Mr. Kayum Rashid and Mr. Usman Manan, and they shall be talking about three topics, uh, pandemic drinking, uh, second topic is what causes us to feel sleepy, and the third topic is, uh, is entitled Are Four Weeks of Therapy Delivered Via the Internet Enough to Manage One's Anger? Sharif, any last thoughts, please? No, I just would like to thank all of our listeners and our guests for a very entertaining, well, um, enlightening show this morning. Exactly, and yeah, and I want to sort of uh, say thank you to our guests who um, share their expertise and their knowledge with us. And uh, like, um, you know, if if people want to listen to the show again, you can go to our website, voiceofislam.co.uk, where you can uh, revisit these shows and you can listen to the recordings of these shows. And uh, if, as we mentioned, if you have any topics that you'd like to talk about, any um, suggestions you might have for future topics, please do give us a ring on 0208-687-7878. You can also visit our website, www.voiceofislam.co.uk. 
Uh, you could also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, we so like I said, we hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you again, Sharif and uh, Ali, and thank you, Mr. Akib uh, on the tech support. Um, join us again for tomorrow's show. Uh, until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all.